In his new film, Learning to Drive, Academy Award winner Ben Kingsley plays an Indian-American driving instructor who builds a surprising friendship with a woman recently dumped by her husband, played by Patricia Clarkson. In this episode of 92Y Talks, these two acclaimed stars sit down with Real Pieces moderator Annette Insdorf to discuss their on-screen chemistry as well as their most memorable performances. The conversation was recorded on August 18, 2015 at New York's 92nd Street Y. Well, I, I can see you agree with me. I would have been thrilled if just one of these two brilliant actors were sitting here with me, but two. We're going to start at the beginning. I've got a question for Patricia Clarkson because I know that this project originated to a great extent with you. You were committed to this screenplay for about nine years, trying to get it made. And I was wondering, what were the things about this project that not only grabbed you, but enabled you to stay committed for this long a period? Uh, I joke that when I first uh, became attached to this project, I was an ingenue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I had read this beautiful essay by Katha Pollitt in The New Yorker. And Serendipitously, um, like a year later, I found out I got there. Were, someone had, you know, uh, a woman named Dana Friedman had uh, optioned the story and uh, commissioned Sarah Kernishan to, to write a script. And they offered it to me, and I was uh, over the moon. I had read this essay, it had stayed with me, it resonated with me in ways that I couldn't shake. Uh, and only that Katha Pollitt can do on those occasions. It's, uh, I, I love her essays, I love her writing, but she, uh, in, in her core, I think, is a poet. And her words uh, stayed with me, and Wendy, the character of Wendy, stayed with me. Uh, and so I became attached to this film, and uh, comedy ensued <laughs> for the next <laughs> nine years. Uh, it was just a journey. It was... Um, but there was something about, uh, in the original story, um, uh, Darvan was not, it was, uh, was, was not a Sikh, it was not, like, that character uh, was Filipino, but uh, Sarah Kernishan knew the Sikh community, she had friends, she knew that world very well, and so she made uh, the driving instructor Sikh. And, um, but, so when I read the, the film, these, then it became a love affair. I always loved Wendy, but then I fell in love with Darwan and all of the other beautiful, rich characters in this story. And I found it quintessential, a quintessential New York story, but deeply universal. And I found it, uh, at a, in a flash, incredibly moving and incredibly funny and tragic and comic and odd and singular. And I... I just decided, along with Dana Friedman, uh, that we would never give up. You should see our phone logs, our phone <laughs> records. Uh, there was rarely a day that went by that we were not trying to get this film made. It's a difficult film to get made, it was, as you can see, uh, because uh, it's two middle-aged people in a car. <laughs> Boy, is that sexy. Uh, 
<laughs> in a really ratty car. Uh, and it has to take place in New York. You can't film this, uh, this uh, film in Toronto. And, um, but I, I just believed in these people. I believed in this story and it was indelible and it, I, um, it is a joyous day for me that this <laughs> film is here. For sure, and it'll be an even more joyous day, I think, on Friday when the film finally is released in theaters and even more people can appreciate it. So then you, in 2008, together make this film Elegy, directed mm. by Isabel Croichet. And first of all, I'm curious whether you, Patty, had envisioned Sir Ben to play Darvon even before working with him in Elegy, or was it once you were working together in that film based on the Philip Roth novel, and when you read the script, because apparently it was given to you at that time, um, what was your reaction? I guess that's a two-parter. Did you picture him beforehand? Well, I picture Sir Ben in anything, and I want him in everything I do for the rest of my life. Uh, but I, um, yes, of course, I, and Isabel, we had such a beautiful experience on Elegy, um, incredible, it was a very intimate Mm. portrait we both that we had to capture mm. very very intimate and I got to know Sir Ben uh, and in the uh, biblical sense yes <laughs> <laughs> the very first day of filming I was naked with Sir Ben <laughs> oh god my career um <laughs> But anyway, so yes, it all, the kernel, it all, it started then, of course, yes. And I presume it wasn't on the first day that the naked Patty Clarkson gave you the script. It probably came a <laughs> bit later when you knew each other. Um, but was it the quality of the writing? Was it the notion that you'd work again with this great actress? Was it to some extent that you understood Darvan in a deeper way, partly given your own heritage, which perhaps we'll talk about in a moment, your own background. You, um, when we were in Berlin, you gave me three boxes to tick that I carry around forever. Uh, forgive me if I mangle your quotes, but they were brilliant. You were on the jury. Uh, I remember you as being the chairman of the jury. In fact, I was the chairman of the jury, but I, in my mind, you were the boss. Um, and uh, Annette, Annette very graciously answered this, uh, addressed herself to uh, the jury. And um, I remember saying that it was impossible to debate taste. I do remember saying that. Um, and you listed three qualities that a film had to possess for you. One, that it must be life-enhancing. Two, that it must uh, invite uh, 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 and earn its right to be in front of an audience for two hours who pay to sit in a dark room to see it. And the third is that it must be made in a manner utterly appropriate to the material. Not bad. I'm so... Seven out of ten. I'm overwhelmed <laughs> that you remember this and it well, is... Well, I mean, it... Uh, the, the tablet, you know, it's a tablet of stone from uh, from uh, from Annette. So when I when I when I read a, a script, I always think of your words, and I think, is it possible to achieve these three key goals? Certainly, with Isabel, 
absolutely, you know that the film will be made in a style that's utterly appropriate to the material. And I do remember um, from my experience in Elegy, in which our relationship disintegrates, so it's almost in reverse that you see our, our relationship blossom in learning to drive, that, um, that the, the, um, in, in Elegy, that because she operates the camera, as I know P Patricia will, will expound, um, and is a female director par excellence, she manages to discover a level of male vulnerability that very few male actors can access. Martin Scorsese is one of them who can, but very often they film a male stereotype. They don't find the vulnerable archetype. And um, both Darvan Singh and um, Kepesh are vulnerable men struggling with things that that are slightly out of their control. Both have issues with intimacy. Um, both are slightly exiled. Um, Darvan knows catastrophic loss. So I knew that Isabel would film a side of me that I love as an actor to offer to the camera, and she will never, never, never miss a thing yeah. that you offer the camera. Um, the th of course, um, the, the, the duet that we have to dance and sing together I knew it would be so perfect because of our, our, our previous work. So it was an absolute joy to, to receive her script and to, to tick your boxes, <laughs> if I may put it that way. I, <laughs> I rarely blush on stage, but I'm doing it now. Um, you mentioned that she's a great female director, and I, I'm perhaps even more than most people in this room, I'm terribly aware of the dangers of ascribing, you know, male director, female director, and yet I'm gonna hazard a suggestion that on this film, because I know that the story was written by a woman, the screenplay by another woman, director is a woman, the producer, Dana Friedman, the editor, the great Thelma Schoonmaker, who has edited most of Martin Scorsese's films, among others, also another. It seemed to me that there was a particular could I call it female energy that was even more conducive to this particular story being told? I, maybe I'm on, on dangerous ground here. I don't know. Compassionate, compassionate no, energy. But I, I, I do think there there is a certain. Uh, uh, last night at the premiere, as I stood there and took a a, a picture with uh, Thelma and Sarah and Katha and myself and Isabel Quasha, I was. I thought, this is a moment. This is a rare moment in our business. Right. It doesn't mean that we made the film better, because we needed, there, you know, men, are another extraordinary producer of ours, we needed Gabriel Hammond and Daniel Hammond. You know, they were the gods that came from heaven and, and loved this film and wrote the check and became these extraordinary producers on the film these young men who could have made any, any film they wanted as their first film, starting a new production company, and they chose, these young men chose to make this beautiful film about two middle-aged people in a, in a sweaty, <laughs> horrible car. <laughs> I mean, I said, don't you wanna make a movie with like Mark Wahlberg and models and hot people? And, <laughs> um, and they, so, you know, and we could not have made this film without 
Sorbonne. So, but I do, I am proud of the fact that at the core of this film, there is, there are great, great females that are not 25, that are not 35, that are not 45, that are 55 and up. <laughs> and we're still incredibly present, incredibly vibrant in this industry. And we came together to make this film. I think it's a film that also has great compassion and understanding for secondary characters. I mean, I, I was aware, uh, Sarita Chuduri, who plays um, Jocelyn, the, the, the wife, you may have noticed, I don't know, some of you in the clip from High Art, the very first clip, she's in the background, she's Joan. I mean, she and Patty Clarkson go way, way oh, back. We go way back, yes. And, Any and, boyfriends back, yeah, we, share, we shared a few. But the scenes, for example, that give us a little bit of insight into the Sikh community in Queens. I mean, I really appreciated going inside the place of worship. I appreciated watching the soccer game and the male energy, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we feel from. So um, I wanted to ask a little about that world and about your preparation for it. Um, for where in Queens, I'd like to know because I, I also know Queens, but, um, and how did you prepare to play Darvan? Was it, were there aspects of your own past? Because I know that you're, you were born, um, I always forget your original name, Krishna Banji in England, the son of an Indian doctor and an English fashion model. Am I getting this right? Russian, Russian, half Russian Jewish, my mother. That too. English, um, half Russian Jewish. So you have these, you know, wonderful cultural threads mm -hmm. that are part of the fabric of your being. Is there some personal area that you tap into for Darvan, not just ethnically, obviously, but, you know, what, what was the process of preparation like am, for you? I am immensely curious and I can, I can watch people for hours, and I'm fascinated by um, the human dance, the patterns of human behavior. And I think that this, the screenplay reflects those patterns of human behavior so purely and so accurately uh, that immediately uh, a huge chunk of the actor's job is done by the way it's so perfectly laid out as a map on the page. Um, I didn't tap into anything on, on, on my own family side because they're very different from Sikhs. Um, however, and everything happens for a reason, I store things, I, st I have a, a, good, a very good memory and I store things like a bank and sometimes they drift to the edges of one's memory in, in, in the mist and then suddenly they're in very, very sharp focus. My driver, bodyguard, Sadarji Guma, who looked after me all the time I was filming Gandhi, and I sat in the back of his ambassador, the famous Indian car, and most of the time could see the back of his head, either driving me or gently easing people out of the way when I was trying to get to the set. And we had a really demanding day on the film when I was at my funeral. I was at my own funeral. Um, because... To cut a long story short, Attenborough didn't like the dummy on the, on the wagon, so he said, darling, you have to come and lie on the wagon. So I was, it was me for nine hours. Uh, then I, I got through um, 400,000 people. And 
40,000 at the end where I got off. It was very frightening and glorious. I got through them. They were singing hymns to Gandhi, and it was very extraordinary and glorious. I got into Sadar Jiguma's car, and the back of his head, I saw him look up to the rearview mirror, and all he said was, well done, sir. <laughs> That's all he said. And I remember that so clearly. And immediately I was able to graft it onto a, a, a driver. Immediately I was able to graft it onto Dharavan Singh. So yeah. honestly, not years and years of research, just little scraps of information that we, we pick up on the way, and memory, and, memory. and a need to tell a story. Need, yeah, need, memory. And at, <clears throat> at what point in the rehearsal process, for example, did you start to wear the headdress? Did you, in other words, the physical manifestations of the character, was that early on, middle? Well, <laughs> we had, had no rehearsal. There was yeah. no rehearsal. Excuse oh, no. me. No. We were, we I forget. Were, low we budget indie films. In, we, 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 we were paratroopers. We, we hit the ground running. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, very we, early on, um, you, uh, I came in for a makeup test. You were sitting with your lovely makeup ladies, yes. and I was sitting with Alan Apone, and Harpreet Singh Tor came, um, who was our Sikh advisor. And it's about nine meters of material, you wow. know. And he <laughs> stood very far away from me, and I had to hold it, and he got closer and closer, and the turban got tighter and tighter. And then Alan the Pone finished my makeup. I don't often look in the mirror during makeup. And I opened my eyes, there he was. I remember that. There I he remember was. remember the first time I saw you in the, this, the, you know, the turbans, they were so beautiful, and the color, and the, having, you know, this journey of this film, and it still brings tears to me that moment I saw you in that turban and I thought, we're here, <laughs> we're here, we've arrived, we're going to shoot Learning to Drive. <laughs> and you know, when Isabel first saw us sitting next to each other in the car, she started to cry. She started to cry. She said, oh, there they are. <laughs> There's Wendy and Darvan. <laughs> I have a silly question for Patricia Clark. Said, did you already drive, were you a driver before you made this film? Uh, I was born and raised in New Orleans, and my father taught me to drive. A side note, my father, I am, I am the youngest of five girls, and so my father taught five teenage girls to drive. He's still alive. <laughs> and, um, so I learned to drive, I drove. I had a ratty old Corolla that my senior year of high school we all got, like when we, we came as here. And I thought, it basically had three wheels, but I thought it was the coolest car on the planet. So I was a driver, but slowly as I became this New Yorker and transitioned into this, you know, non-driving culture, uh, I lost my ability as I became more and more Wendy. <laughs> I lost my ability to drive, even though I do know how to drive. And then as I started, as th this film became more and more of a reality, I specifically didn't want to be behind the wheel of a car because I wanted it to feel, I wanted art and life to come together, even though I knew I would be driving one of the greatest actors in the world. Whee! Over the bridge. <laughs> Over the Queensboro. Here we go, Sir Ben. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, I think I know how to drive. 
Hold on, baby. <laughs> but yes, so, but I, I kind of learned to drive again as Patty through the process of this film and it was illuminating and eye-opening and I, as in this film, I wonder if all of us in the middle of our relationships and our traumas, if we had to stop and learn to drive again, we might not get divorced. Because <laughs> you have to see and take in the other person and you have to think and you have to want to be present in this world and you have to listen and you have to see the world exactly in front of you. Right, the focus. Yes. Yeah. No, yes. That, that works. And another question about your character because in the film, it's a bit cryptic. We don't get the full backstory of Darvan Singh. We, we know that he was imprisoned for being a Sikh, but we don't really know that much more. Did you create more of a history for the character than a, what we see? A little. Um, from uh, friends who were in Delhi when it got really dangerous and the car was occasionally surrounded and, and someone would bash their head through a window and say, are there any Sikhs in this car? Very, very frightening. My dear friend Roshan said, told me this story, who played Nero in our film. Um, and the, so that kind of uh, violence I, I was aware of because the, the, the uh, I say this advisedly, but the, because the Indians are so basically pacific, they have no science of violence. So once it's unleashed, they don't know how to stop it. Mm. It's, a, it's a strange irony and a paradox, but they are not by nature violent. So they have no science of it, so they can't control it. Um, so it, it, as we've seen uh, in the riots during partition, it was horrifying, where thousands and thousands of people died. Uh, and the other bit of my backstory was uh, obviously prompted by by Patricia, by Wendy, who mentioned a book of poems. And of course, I, I decided that he was a, an English literature professor in, in, in India. I love that because in Elegy, you played a, an English, a Columbia University <laughs> novelist and literature professor. So there's another nice uh, continuity, if, as far as I can tell. There were so many moments in the film that um, I found beautiful, and I wasn't sure if it was because you were being extremely faithful to the script as written, or whether there were things that developed, maybe improvised while you were making it. For example, I find it very moving, um, the, the touching of the face. In other words, um, at one point, uh, the, the line, what you miss most, about your husband is the touching of the face and then the way that the face is touched at what might be the last lesson. And for me, the sense of a hopeful ending for Darvan and, and uh, Jasleen because he touches her face at the end. Is that something that was in the script or was it developed? Because then I, I give even more credit you know, <laughs> to the screenwriter because no, was... these were not verbal things necessarily, but they really tied the in film the together. We were quite loyal to the script. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautifully written, it's mm -hmm. a beautifully crafted script. And um, there, were, there were a few here and there moments of improvisation, the tantric sex scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, my, 
my old-fashioned Southern father. I can't wait till he sees this film. Um, uh, there were moments uh, within this film, of course, that were slightly improv here and there, but we were, we were... We were very on the script. We were very yeah. on the script. We were very dedicated to the beauty of these words, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm happy about that, because I think uh, there was no need for improvisation from most of this script. I think had we improvised, or been tempted to, it would have signaled that we wished to blur our boundaries. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing about working with Patricia, and I hope she with me, is that we actually stayed in our bubble until we couldn't stay in it any longer. And that really paid off, didn't yes. it? We really, we, we really get on, we, you know, he's a wonderful, extraordinary man. And, we're friends, and but in, when we were shooting, we really kept our separate worlds. Very separate. Uh, we were a little bit method in that, yeah. in that, mm -hmm. yeah. to that degree, and so we really we stayed up. in our worlds. It was it's a good choice. It was important, yeah. you know. So we didn't. We could we could keep a a, a very a, a very um, pronounced line between us, so that we could keep the integrity of the script and these characters. And I think had we gotten loosey-goosey, we mm. would have blurred. We would have blurred it. No, no, absolutely. And I, I remember the first time that I watched the film, which was quite a few weeks ago, I got a little fearful about two-thirds of the way through thinking, you know, a traditional American film, oh, these two are going to end up as lovers. I mean, they will, they will end up being for each other what, you know, most of us in the audience kind of yearn for when we see two very different people at the beginning of the film. And at the end, I had this sense of relief in the intelligence and the sort of wisdom of how the entire thing was really about a relationship that didn't have to be defined well, and a, by a romance. profound friendship. Exactly. At the end of the day, this is a very adult and beautiful friendship, a, a remarkable friendship that for a moment within the script, the line gets blurred. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at the end of the day, what I love about this story is that it is about a man and a woman who give these extraordinary gifts to one another and without the physical. Right. And also the gifts they give to one another extend beyond them because Jesseline becomes the beneficiary of what is learned. Mm -hmm. And also even the daughter, Tasha. I mean, I, I, and by the way, you know, I, I, I suspect that some of you know if not all of you, that Grace Gummer, who plays the daughter, is in real life the daughter of Meryl Streep, one of the two who we are seeing so much these days because they're extremely talented, having obviously inherited more than their mother's genetic perfections, whatever. Um, but, and the scenes with her suggest that somehow she is providing you with a reason to learn to drive, <laughs> and then you are going to provide her with something more as a result. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's a great yes. thing. Um, I do want to ask a few questions about some of the other work because we showed clips earlier. I, to be honest, um, I'm always in awe of, of your work, but one of the reasons is lately I've seen you play 
more different kinds of characters, not just ethnically, but in more different kinds of films. And in fact, some of the critics have remarked upon this. I, I can't... I'll just stick my fingers in my ears if you're going to read No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. It's just one line from a critic because I, I particularly... Well, let me... I'll, I'll mention this. I had seen you in Exodus, Gods and Kings, because um, I ended up moderating a, a Q&A with the stars of that film, but you weren't there. And then immediately after that, saw you in Night at the Museum 3. So, you know, going from playing um, an Israelite elder to a pharaoh. Um, and uh, so this was when Scott Fundus wrote in Variety, what the PC anti-Exodus brigade will make of the fact that the British Indian Kingsley cast as an Israelite elder in that movie plays a pharaoh here is, is anyone's guess. And fortunately, nobody made a big deal of it, but I was aware that you were being cast in a lot of different things. We watched Mark and I, The Last Legion with Colin Firth, oh, yeah. where you played a very different kind, a, a sort of warrior of the spirit, you know, a spiritual um, guide in a way who is able to fight carnal battles too. And then I, I'm sure most people here don't know the movie Trans-Siberian. I thought it was wonderful where you played Grinko, this Russian cop, who is uh, possibly um, smart, corrupt, and, and ultimately sympathetic towards the American couple who's caught in this frozen Russian landscape. Um, I'm just, and, and the Maori patterns on your face in Ender's Game. I know most people here in the audience are probably wondering what, she goes to see films like Ender's Game too, but I try to see a lot of the mainstream movies that come out as well, and I knew that you were in it, and Asa Butterfield, both from Hugo, you know, how could... And I really appreciated this, this character that you were playing, who I didn't quite understand, but proud. And the Maori patterns on his face suggesting a whole other dimension. Are you getting a kick out of all of these different cultural possibilities that you get to play with? I think that when I... Patricia's recently been on stage, and she was glorious on stage. It's a long time since I've been on stage. But I used to think of my work as a theatre actor, if I can use a rather clunky metaphor, as a landscape painter. And now as a film actor, I see myself as a portrait artist. Mm. And to have the chance to draw these extraordinary portraits of these very different men, a lot of them warriors, yeah. Um, as is Darwin Singh, which, which at the moment intrigues me. Uh, I don't know why, but, but it's that particular corner of masculinity that fascinates me at the moment. Um, but uh, but it's, the, it's the opportunity to, to, to present portraits to an audience, um, and the variety that's offered is, is so welcome, um, and the palette is, you know, mix the same old paints, but they come out differently on, on the canvas. That's fantastic. Have I successfully <laughs> avoided your question? Not at all. No, I, I do understand exactly what you're saying, and, and it makes total sense. Now, as long as you brought this up, I was going to get to it sooner or later. Tonight, we focused thus far on these two phenomenal film actors. But as many of you know, theater is, is very much not only in the initial background, the training, but something still vital. Uh, you, in fact, I remember in 2004 when Patricia Clarkson finally played Blanche Dubois in Streetcar at the Kennedy Center. I didn't get to see it, but the reviews were extraordinary. And then, as I'm sure you know, in December, you returned to Broadway after a long time. 
uh, to co-star in The Elephant Man with Bradley Cooper. And then you reprised your roles, if I understand correctly, on the West End after that. And I was quite curious, was the experience of performing the same play with primarily the same cast in London any different from doing it on Broadway? Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, Bradley uh, uh, was kind and generous enough and uh, to take the entire cast, Maybe 13 smart enough American also. actors, <laughs> to the West End. Uh, he said, this is the production, and it's, this is the production that will travel. This is our show. We have to take the whole show. And I was thrilled. And, but it is a living, breathing organism, a, a, you know, a, a theater, a, a, a stage show. And it's going to shift with the environment and with the, 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 the new space and the, the new crew and uh, just the act of us all flying across the Atlantic to this you know, gorgeous, beautiful, different theater. I, yes, I think it slightly altered us, and we had, you know, we kept, the, the, the play kept deepening, and it was, it had found new levels, and there was a slightly different timbre to um, the production by the time we reached London, and I think it hit a new stride in London, and it was, um, it was such a beautiful experience. I had, we had such a remarkable time in, in, on Broadway. But it was a different experience in London, but remarkable also. And yet new and fre it felt fresh and different. And we, you know, Bradley is a workhorse and he is a, 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 a great, great actor, but he's a, a terrific, a beautiful man. He was very well raised. He has a fabulous mother and father. <laughs> and, um, and so he is a, a true egalitarian. He's generous of heart. And, uh, and we all arrived in London from the second orderly from the left who has no lines to uh, the elephant man. And we arrived as a whole piece, as a whole unit. And we went forward into the West End. And it was, it was euphoric. And, and I, it's one of the truly great experiences of my life. And wow. to have just, I just closed the play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a week ago. <laughs> wow. And now I'm sitting here with the two of you. <laughs> my, my life doesn't get any better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, we're the beneficiaries of it. And I mean, I, I can't imagine that you have much time to do theater given how many films you've been making, but you not only started with the Royal Shakespeare Company, but I remember you came back um, to do Othello and then Waiting for Godot, if I remember correctly. Um, but I don't know of any theater that you've done in the past 10 years, am I right? No, I, I am really mesmerized by that creation of that portrait. And also, uh, Daniela, my wife, and I have a modest production company, and we're in that, as you well know, it takes up every available second. Uh, it's aspirational, it's hard work, and it's, you need a lot of dedication. And I think it would be very discourteous if I were in a rehearsal room rehearsing a play and knowing that my, my, this was going off in my pocket and I was feeling that I had to take that call for the movie. So it's better to stick with my portraits for now. And speaking of which, I must say that among the fall releases, 
One of the films to which I'm most looking forward is The Walk, not only because Man on Wire was a brilliant documentary mm. about Philippe Petit, and the man is an extraordinary phenomenon, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one of my favorite actors of that younger generation, but you play the mentor figure. Yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about the portraiture that we can look forward to in The Walk? He's French, right, the character? Well, he's actually Czech. Czech, okay. And, um, but he's multilingual, and I, I needed to find his... I'm going to give something away. You keep this amongst yourselves, okay? <laughs> um, and I needed to, 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 to get into the skin of somebody who is not only a great director, a darling friend, an extraordinary teacher, and has phenomenal energy, and can do everything on the film set better than anyone else. So I based him on Roman Polanski. Then my based whole performance is, Wait, you based is on him? Roman Polanski. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Everything I do is like a Roman. I, I, <laughs> I'm acting like this. It, it's, uh, no, no, that, yes, that's the, uh, no, I'll do it. Let me do it. Get off the wire. It's Roman. I love it. Don't tell anybody. And, uh, we did not include in the clip reel either Death and the Maiden or Oliver Twist, the two films that yeah. you made yeah. with this great director. So I, I do find that fascinating. <laughs> did, did, the, did the director, Robert Zemeckis, know that... I never that... told him. I never told him. Okay, then we're going to keep this <laughs> completely this to ourselves. Um, and, and one question in terms of immediate future, I hope, projects. I know that you have been trying for many years to get a film off the ground about an actress for whom I have a lot of fascination, Tallulah Bankhead. And I cannot imagine anyone who could play that better than you. Can you give us a sense of the status of that? Is it, will we get to, to see something in the future? Oh. <laughs> well, by the time we make this film, my voice will definitely be deep enough. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, again, a process. It's a journey. It's a beautiful script, and I know it. I feel it. I love it. Uh, I, I will get this film made. Uh, I will work diligently. I will work every... I still, I, every day, I'm thinking about how to kind of maneuver the best way. I have these moments when I think... In London, I was working of this angle and that angle or this angle or... I meet this hot star, big star, and I say, wait, yes, he could play Joseph Breen. Or, oh, and I, you know, Tallulah has a lover in the film, and I'm just thinking about all the young girls. Who can I cast? I feel like the casting couch. Who can I cast? And I, so I, 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 will, I will not give up, but it, is, it, will, it will be a process because, again, it's a difficult film to get made. I have to find the right director, and I'm still in that process. But once... I get the right director, I know the people I want to come on board, and they will come on board. And then it will soar. So uh, just I stay tuned. So. <laughs> I, I don't know enough about Tallulah Bankhead. My husband, Mark, was finding all these tidbits for me that just made my head reel. She was the least politically correct of any performer that I have come across. But boy, was 
She never boring. Um, I have a lot more questions, but I know that you must have some too. So if we could bring up the lights just a little bit and I will repeat the questions. There's a gentleman on the aisle and then there are two on my right. I think you were the best Blanche Dubois I've ever Thank seen you on so stage. Much. Thank you. Oh. And as Hedda Gabler. I, I, go, I know you from four. I go, I know this. I, it's amazing to see you. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you. Since um, you mentioned you didn't have much rehearsal time when you were making the film, did your training as a theater actress help you to develop your character without the rehearsal? Since you mentioned that you did not have rehearsal time in making this film, was your training as a theater actor um, able to help you just get into that character without rehearsal? I would actually say, uh, I think the fact that I've done so much film work lately is what helped me because I know the muscles that I have to stretch, that I know the muscles I need in place, I know the physical and emotional place I need to do, I know the emotional groundwork I have to lay on my own uh, for this character. Uh, before I start shooting. So I would say the film work I've done um, lately, uh, well, in the past 10 years of my life, has, has made my film work, me preparing for a film, it's made it more accessible, made me more comfortable, made me ready to go, so to speak. It's like, can you show up on the set and be in character? Uh, yes, I, I, I can. <laughs> There was, a, a, well, first the woman here and then the gentleman right behind. Well, I grew up in the Upper West Side and I was the only one of my friends who actually learned to dance. I grew up on the Upper West Side and the only one of my actual friends who, <laughs> the only one of my friends who actually was driving. Learned to drive. Learned to drive. And luckily, I rarely ever had to do it. Luckily, I never, ha rarely had to do it. Do you, have you found that people in places other than New York find it odd that we don't drive? I think most people know that New Yorkers are really tri-state area uh, people. It, you know, I think it's common knowledge. Uh, I mean, my sisters from New Orleans were, you know, they got it. They, they and they all drive. But, um, but I don't know, did, did you find it uh, that people outside of New York find it odd that I'm a grown woman who doesn't drive? <laughs> no, I, 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 think, I think it's fairly common knowledge, I hope. Or maybe if it plays in Minnesota, they'll think we're crazy. <laughs> I think outside of New York, well, there's that New Yorker cartoon mentality, you know, we, we have this kind of bubble life. I think everyone, um, beyond New York may be just a little bit jealous of the fact that we don't have to drive. <laughs> in other words, whenever I go out to LA, you know, they always know that I'm from New York because I walk everywhere. Um, so do I. They say you walked to Whole Foods? Yes. I do yes. that all the time. <laughs> but and in they a say, way, wait, wait, they... You walked? <laughs> but they have to spend half their lives oh, on the sure. freeway. Oh, yeah. And when I tell them I don't drive, you know, it's like, really? And I, it's a mixed thing. I, I think sometimes it's, jealous. It's, it's even odder because we're, you know, you're this powerhouse of a woman, this fierce intellectual. It's like, and you don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there is one fault. You have a fault. <laughs> Gentlemen there. Okay. First, I'm your big fan of the uh, movie was 
First of all, I live in Queens and the movie was fantastic. That's your neighborhood. It was your neighborhood? Uh, Elmhurst? Is it the Elmhurst area? I think. No. Richmond Hill. Richmond Hill? Okay, that too. Because you are such great actors, this is a question not about neighborhood, um, who inspired you to become actors? Uh, I would say um, the people I, when I was a young girl, I loved Ingrid Bergman and I loved Lucille Ball. <laughs> and I wanted to be both of them and I'm still trying. <laughs> I, I think I must have been about five years old. I went to the cinema to see an amazing film called Never Take No for an Answer. Uh, and it starred an, uh, a little boy, an orphan boy, in a village. And uh, he, he was custodian of one thing, his donkey, um, which became very sick. And he had to go all the way to the Vatican, all by himself, to get a piece of paper from the Holy Father, to bring back to his village, to demolish the wall, to let his donkey in. I can hardly tell you the story without crying. I was deeply moved by the film, and identified totally with the little boy on the screen, and that is when I decided to be an actor. I never even heard of this film. I'm going to have to Martin look Martin Scorsese gave me a copy of it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I can watch it whenever I like. All right. <laughs> one here, then one on the aisle, then one in the back there. Uh, yeah, not a question, but an observation about the movie, which I love. Uh, I appreciated the almost subliminal way the color red was used to bring out, to express the theme of the movie. How initially your character says how strange it is that red means stop and danger. But by the end of the movie, you buy a red car and your character makes the point that red is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for weddings, so there's more danger in stopping than in moving forward. And it's, this is my nice. second time seeing the movie. I didn't pick it up the first time. No, there's so many beautiful just details like in this film. It's, it's quite beautifully crafted, and, mm -hmm. and, and so it has these incredible threads, running threads through. Yeah. you know. A nice red dress. Yeah, you're wearing a red dress. Well, it's really hot pink. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the middle there, and then we'll move to the back. Do you think you fall in love with your characters the way we do, and you have to say goodbye to them? Or do you feel sad? Yes. Uh, that uh, I'm just going to repeat. I'm do you so fall sorry. in love with your characters, and do you feel sad when you have to leave them? You are, in a sense, um, Patricia is custodian of Wendy. She has to look after her through her journey to make sure that that portrait is, rings true and it conveys what, in her heart, Patricia wishes Wendy to convey. Same with Darvan, and I, I make no apology. We were watching a, a screening, in, standing in the back of the cinema, and both of us turned to each other and said, I really miss them. Oh, and, and we do. Yeah. We, I, miss, I miss that little car. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I miss Sir Ben and his turban. <laughs> I do. Those beautiful turbans. They, I, I look forward to that every day. And uh, I was um, there. They were 
the, these characters, they, they, they took us from A to Z, mm -hmm. and uh, they required such, uh, so many facets of us and so many parts of us as actors, this is why we want to act. This is why mm -hmm. we want to be actors, mm -hmm. to play these these kinds of parts. So it is. It's hard. It's always hard to move on from great characters. Uh, on the island, then in the back, the gentleman. Yes. The film has a lot of comedy as well as a lot of drama. Yeah, was there always meant to be that kind of balance, or was it that at one point the film went from being more comic to dramatic, or vice versa? Did I get that right? We were, I think we were, we were gobsmacked in Toronto, Toronto when this, this film debuted to a packed theater, and the laughter that came out of that theater uh, was surprising. I mean, we knew it was. Funny. But we didn't know it was that funny. <laughs> I mean, it, it has a wit to it, because yes. it's a beautifully balanced screenplay, as you pointed out, but we had no idea that we would get waves of extraordinary laughter from our audience, because we didn't play we, it to be funny, no. we played it to be, to be inside our bubbles. Uh, in, to be inside, us. we yeah. played it for truth. and. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, yes, and, and Isabel also. And so I think it was, it was surprising mm. to us. Hmm. And actually, when I think about some of the lines that made me laugh both times that I've seen the film, I realize that they're not ha-ha laughs, that they're like dark funny. For example, I do Ambien, to, to, I, I do tantric yoga, or I unfriended God a long time ago. I mean, it's funny, but it's got a darker edge to it. Or even um, my sister and I were left to raise our mother. That line just got me. I, I thought, wow, that was just such a, a smart, funny line, but there's an undertone that's crunchier. Sort but of. we were always aware of, you know, the tone of this film in terms of that it was every day the truth. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we aimed for the truth. Yeah. Uh, gentleman in the back. That's it, okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Um, we have time, I think, for one more, yes? The question is about the Woody Allen film, Whatever Works. This woman said that, that she loved how the transformation from the Southern Belle to the uh, aging beatnik, did you say? The yeah. bohemian artist. Um, could you talk a little bit about how that, how that transformation happened? Well, Marietta, you know, I play this um, classic 
southern mother arriving in New York to find my daughter living with Larry David. Um, enough said. But, you know, I have a powerhouse southern mother who ran the city of New Orleans for many, many years, and, and she's an extraordinary woman. And so there's a lot of my mother in Marietta. And the funniest thing is that every day preparing, when I would come to the set, and I would put in a full set of hot curlers in my hair. So I had this big, I had big southern hair. And the first thing my mother said, after she was, saw the premiere of whatever work, she was like, Patty, your hair was gorgeous. Gorgeous. Buzz, that's my mother's father. Buzz, why, do, why doesn't she wear her hair like that more often? Because I had her hair. Your hair was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And so, uh, so that, that woman was inside of me as my mother lives in me. And, and so I just brought her, her, so it was almost like me transitioning from my mother to myself within the film. Mm -hmm. And that's really how I made the transition, is I went from Jackie to Patty. <laughs> wow, that's, that's great. <sighs> All right, last quickie, right? Do you really have blue eyes? Is this a question for Sir Ben? Do you really have blue eyes? No, brown. Brown, green, gold. Given that there was no rehearsal, how long did it take to film this? We had 25 shooting days. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, and by the way, uh, we didn't even have time to talk about the comparison between the independent films that both of these actors have been doing and the mainstream studio films. I didn't even mention that you're in The Maze Runner, for example. Um, and I'm not even sure, I, I'm very interested in the upcoming film Brooklyn Bridge, where I, I gather you play the character, Doug McGrath's film, is that you're going to be doing, is that correct? I may be doing it, it's not, okay. it's not uh, officially yet. Because I, I read sometimes about the upcoming projects and I'm sometimes wondering, will this be a slightly bigger budget mainstream mm. film? Will this be a lower budget indie film? And then I realize it doesn't matter. It matters to the people making it because they'll have less time or more time for rehearsal less money or more money to do certain things they need to do. But I think the film we've just watched is a perfect example of how passion and talent are really the key things that count. That if actors can become committed to a really smart script and an obviously really sensitive director, and then to get a great company like Broad Green to come in and nurture it so that on Friday it can come out at the Angelica and the Lincoln Square, that's what we need to be grateful for. And I thank these two wonderful actors for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations on 92YOnDemand.org.